Hello, welcome to the podcast. Just before we begin this episode, I'd like to mention my main podcast sponsor, and that's italki. Yesterday, I used italki myself to book some more lessons with a French teacher to improve my French. And I have to say that it is a really impressive service. First of all, it's very professional and functional. When you, you know, when you log on to italki, the whole system for finding teachers and booking lessons is extremely smooth and just feels very trustworthy and reliable. But also, it's not just a way to find teachers. There are other services that you can access free. So when you're logged in, you have three tabs at the top of the screen. So three areas of italki, basically. You've got the lessons tab, where you have all the details of the lessons you've already done and the lessons that you've booked. And there's a find a teacher tab, which is basically an advanced search function to help you find the right person for you. And you can search by teacher type, like what kind of teacher they are. You can search by where they come from. You can search using their hourly rate. So that's price. And there are different prices for different people. And you can search by specific teaching skills. So if you're looking for a certain type of um, English lesson. Um, And also there's that's that's the find a teacher tab so it's a it's a a great like way to find specific types of teacher to find the right kind of um, lessons or conversations for you and then also there's a third area which is the community area which you access using the community tab and that's where you find like loads and loads of other stuff including loads of articles about language learning there's also this thing called your notebook and that's where you can post an entry, like post a piece of writing in your target language in English. So if you've got some writing that you want people to look at and check, you can post it in your notebook and then you can get it reviewed by native speakers who also use that site or not necessarily native speakers. It could also be advanced like um, speakers of English. But basically you post your writing in the notebook and other people can then check it, they can um, correct it and leave comments and stuff, which is great. And they're also in the community, there are loads of questions and answers about English, including specific things about different types of English grammar and vocabulary and stuff, any questions, a whole list of questions and answers and things in the community. And also in the community area, there's uh, a whole area for finding language partners, and that's completely free. And Language partners can be a really great way of getting conversation time without having to pay a lot of money, right? So basically, you can find English speakers who are learning your language and get lessons with them, and you pay for that by doing lessons in return in your native language. They don't even have to be lessons. They could just be conversations with feedback and stuff. But you could do, for example, half an hour in in. Um, in English with this person and then you switch to doing half an hour in your language and you help them learn your language which is a tried and tested method for uh, getting speaking time and improving your English people talk about language exchanges all the time and so if you're wondering how to get it um, there's a whole area of italki devoted to finding people to do with whom you can do a language exchange you might need to shop around a bit until you find the right person but when you do find the right person it can be brilliant for uh, improving your english and getting lots of speaking in or if you just want to just find a qualified teacher and stuff you can just find a teacher for you so there are good reasons why italki is such a widely used platform and i'm looking forward to using it again tomorrow when i have another french lesson with my teacher kevin um, yeah, Kevin. There are a lot of pe- lot of people in France called Kevin these days. I thought it was just an English name, um, but loads of Kevins in France as well. So I've chosen to to do his conversation package, which involves a lot of speaking and error correction, and I'm looking forward to it. So check out Italki, and remember that because you listen to my podcast, when you buy some lesson time, they will send you a voucher for a free lesson. To get that free lesson, you need to use my link, which is teacherluke.co.uk slash talk. So enter the site using that link, teacherluke.co.uk slash talk. And then when you buy some talking time, they will just send you the voucher. You can also click an Italki logo on my website. Uh, in order to get started. Okay, all right then. So, talking of getting started, let's now get started with this new episode. And here we go. 
You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to this brand new episode of the podcast presented to you for your listening pleasure and for the general development of your English. What have I got lined up for you in this episode? Well, just the other day, I spoke again to Andy Johnson, friend of the podcast and my former colleague from the days when I worked at the London School of English. Andy's been on the podcast lots of times before, as many of you will know, but the last time was about a year ago, actually, in episode 529, so it's good to have him back on the podcast again. The idea in this episode is just to catch up with Andy, find out what he's been up to since we last spoke on the podcast, and just see where the conversation takes us. Just before I play you the first part of our conversation, because this episode is in two parts, here's an overview of the topics that you are about to hear us talking about. You can expect to hear vocabulary relating to these things. Moving house from London to Canterbury. So Andy and his family recently moved out of London to a much smaller city in the southeast of England called Canterbury. Some of you might know it as it is a bit of a tourist destination. You may have been there yourself. Uh, It's a bit of a tourist destination because of its magnificent cathedral and its significant cultural history. Andy tells us about his experience of moving, how living in Canterbury is different to living in London, some details of things like the rental costs and lifestyle differences in both cities, what it's like for the kids, and some interesting facts and history about Canterbury itself. Then, English teaching. We chat about this year's IATEFL conference, where Andy did a talk about online learning, And he tells us about one interesting presentation that he saw, which was all about using escape rooms to help people learn English. Do you know what escape rooms are? Are they popular in your country? Escape rooms are fun experiences in which you go into a locked room with some friends and have to solve some puzzles and complete tasks in order to escape from the room. They're a lot of fun, but how could they be used in learning English? This leads to a bit of a discussion about how we approach the teaching of English in classrooms these days, focusing on how to create the right context for practising specific target language naturally. As an example, I talk a bit about how I've been teaching used to to my intermediate classes at school recently. We then talk a bit about Andy's job at London School Online, delivering online English training to companies and what that involves. Uh, If you're interested in providing an online course for the staff in your company, you can get more information about that and you can contact Andy through his website, which is londonschool.com slash LSO. And finally, we do talk a bit about Andy's running because some of you will be curious about that how his running routines have changed since moving to a smaller city, and whether or not he did the London Marathon this year. So for all the vocab hunters out there, all of of you who are looking for bits of vocabulary that you can learn from these conversations, just watch out for bits of language relating to all those things. Things like moving house, describing cities like big cities and smaller towns, and English teaching and the ins and outs of Andy's job, and uh, bits and pieces about running. Look out for language relating to those things. So now then, without further ado, I will let you enjoy listening to another chat with Andy Johnson on Luke's English Podcast, and here we go. Hello, Andy Johnson. How are you today? Hello. I'm very good. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Can I ask you where you are? right now yes yeah you you always ask me this I, I whenever i come on the podcast you always say where are you <laughs> and um the answer is always the same i'm i'm on skype talking to you yeah uh, I'm, I'm 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 sitting in um a little uh meeting room mm-hmm. uh in the 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 office in canterbury and i'm looking out the window uh at the trees and the chimney tops and um, it's lovely. It's a beautiful day here. The sun's shining. 
Sounds um, nice. Though everyone tells me that this room that I'm sitting in is haunted. Oh yes. So if 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 anything suspicious happens during the call, you know why. Tell me more. I like ghost stories and stuff. The ro- well, the room is haunted. The room is haunted. I mean, I I don't think I don't believe it is because I don't really believe in that kind of stuff anyway. But. Um, Apparently, this room often has the window will be left open mysteriously. Oh. And the story goes that uh, somebody th- threw themselves from the window to the floor below. Yeah. And so the, 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 that's, that's the deal that goes on here. And I've got to say, when, when someone first told me this, um, I was using this room and it was sort of the middle of winter and it was very dark and it certainly felt quite creepy because... Yeah. This this building's quite old and it's four it's set over four floors and if you're up here, it's probably just you up here. So it can be a little bit creepy up here. It's all sort of like wooden eaves and very kind of it's an old medieval building. So um, it's got it's got a bit of character to it. Yeah, that's great. So Canterbury, yes, uh, at the London School of English in Canterbury. That's right. Yes. That's okay. Right. Okay. You've moved. You you moved recently. I moved, yeah. So we moved. We moved in January after um, an awful long time in London. Twenty years, I think, the best most of my life uh, yeah. living in London. We we finally left, and we've moved um, sort of east down to Kent and the coast, and yeah. into a little city called Canterbury. It's lovely. Canterbury is whereabouts exactly? Can you try and describe its location? So it's kind of like if you imagine the UK, if yeah. you uh, when I used to sort of draw the UK on the, when I was a teacher, I used to draw the UK on the on the whiteboard. I'd basically just draw a rabbit. <laughs> so the ears of the rabbit are like Scotland and then the um, sort of the feet of the rabbit, that's Cornwall. Yeah. So so Canterbury is kind <laughs> of in the in sort of the the the. the I guess that the hip of the rabbit. The hip. This not, is probably making no sense whatsoever. It kind of well, makes sense. I was I was wondering which part of the rabbit you're going to describe. But you could say it's the hip, or or maybe the bum. Um, maybe the bum. Yeah, the, the, yeah. The, the the bottom of the rabbit is where I live. I live in a rabbit's bottom. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it sounds lovely. Um, yeah, it is. I mean, it's 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 very close to you actually because um, we're very close to to Dover, where you can get the ferry over to France. So. Mm-hmm. We're, we're about sort of 10 minute drive away from the coast and on a clear day you can see france i can see you luke yeah really. Um, and what's interesting is when you go on like uh, amazon or something all of the um because it uses your location and yeah. all of the prices come up in euros oh right so um, we are very close to france i bet the, the brexiters are happy about that <laughs> Well, I think I think Canterbury is a bit Brexity. I'm not really is it, sure. Is it really? I, I think it is a little bit. Say it quietly. Because London, so London is generally pro-Europe and anti-Brexit. I mean, like you know, uh, London as a city as a whole voted to remain. Yeah. But then when you come out of London and go to different parts of the country, you might find that you're in a, a, a Leave voting area. So Canterbury oh, yeah. is a bit. It's a bit Brexit. Is it? Well, I, it's a bit. Um, it, for a long time, it was it was a conservative seat, and typically a lot of the conservative seats voted to to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the last general election, it changed to Labour, who tend to be more Remain. I mean, I'm being hideously general in how I'm explaining this, mm. but um, I think it did vote Brexit, and but as a result of that. A lot of there's two universities here, and I mean it's a city of only like forty five thousand people. It's only a city because it's got a great big cathedral in it, um, but it's a city because of that. So it's very small, forty five thousand people, but two universities. So it's got a huge student population. Mm. So what happens is in the last election, because everyone's so disillusioned with our current government, typically a lot of the students went out to vote where perhaps they might not have done in the past, and okay. I think that's the reason why. Andy's voice cut out here for a second during the Skype call, but I think he said that's the reason why we got a Labour seat in the last election. A seat in the whole of this area, this part of Kent. We're also um, the next constituency over uh, Fannington is where Nigel Farage tried to uh get um elected i don't know if if your listeners are familiar with that man but he's yeah a bit i haven't talked about 
uh, I haven't talked about the politics and Brexit for a little while, but I do. I have done fairly regular episodes about Brexit yeah. with my dad, and Nigel Farage is someone who we've talked about. But I mean, just for those people who don't know, uh, he is, you know, probably the most famous Brexiter yeah. in the UK. Um, he used to be the leader of UKIP, the the right. United Kingdom Independence Party, and he campaigned um, relentlessly to get the UK out of the European Union. Uh, and now he's set up a new party and he's attempting to to get more support the, the Brexit yeah, the Brexit the party. Brexit party and I think he'll probably do very well at these elections because I think a lot of people are very disillusioned people who voted leave people who voted remain they're both very disillusioned with the fact that we're, the UK is still going on and nobody seems to know what's happening I've got I've got a sort of a story about Nigel Farage because he's he's local mm. I I was out running one morning um, along the river and I was running in the direction of his constituency because it's as i say it's right next door to canterbury yeah. i was running along and walking along the path towards me was this guy mm. and i looked at him and i thought oh no <laughs> it's him it's nigel farage <laughs> and i mean he's a very very divisive figure I, I really don't like him at all i don't like his politics or what he stands for so i was kind of looking at him with i must have had a very unpleasant expression on my face giving him, I, the, giving him the evils i was like oh god i can't stand this guy and then as i got closer it wasn't him <laughs> <laughs> so this poor guy was out for a walk in the morning <laughs> and this runner who looks like moby comes towards him with a, just giving him a really dirty evil look so i, I feel sorry I, I must apologize to that guy when i next see him because that's the other thing as well because it's so small you see the same people all the time oh, everyone seems to know each other it's it's yeah I wonder it's if, very different to London. I wonder if this guy um, gets mistaken for Nigel Farage all the time. <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, yeah, I share his pain. Maybe, I don't know, depends. Do you reckon he, if, so it depends. If he is a Brexiter too, then maybe he's okay with it. But mm. if he's a, a, a Remainer, then it might be a real problem for him. Um, yeah. But anyway, the next time you see him, stop and have a little chat to him. Yeah. And then report can- back. We can compare notes. Yes, that would be yeah. good. Yeah, so, so Canterbury's different to London then. So, all right, so you lived in London for 20 years yep. and you've moved to Canterbury. Just, well, why did you move? Uh, well, it's something that my wife and I talked about for probably about two years before we finally decided to move down here. Um, and it, it's a number of reasons, really. Um, I guess for work, the fact that the, the online business, the, you know, I, I run an online training company. I don't, I don't need to be um, located in London anymore. I can be located anywhere, really. But um, I don't want to be working from home the whole time because I've, I, I kind of like to be out of the house and and uh, have an office. So um, the London School of English has the two schools in in London, but it also has a training centre down here in Canterbury. So it was always an option that I could come and base myself here. Mm. Mm. Um, so that was the work side, but also, you know, my, my eldest son is four now and he starts school in September. So we, we, what we didn't want to do is for him to start school in London and then move out later. And we, so we, it kind of came to a head where it's like, well, if we're going to move, we, we're going to do it this year. And, um, to apply for schools, you have to do it in January. So that's why we moved here in January. You have to be living in the area yeah. where you wish to send your child to school. So that was the reason. Um, was it difficult? <clears throat> moving? Yeah. Uh, in what sense? In the sense that you realise, oh, we've got like a, a window of time in which we have to move. And so we've got to find the right place. Yeah. Uh, and and then, you know, like, yeah, find the right place and um, make sure that we get the, the rental agreement because you're renting, aren't you? We're renting, yeah, we're renting. Yeah, so find the right place, make sure that we are the ones chosen um, to, to be the tenants and then actually physically moving all of your, your stuff, all your belongings from one place to the next and then also the kind of, I guess, what, psychological, the feelings of like moving away from the place where you had been living for 20 years and then moving, like upping sticks and moving to a new town Mm. Was that it was, was it difficult or was it great or? Uh, it was as as with most things, it was a bit of a mixed bag. Um, I think the the emotional side of it for me was relatively straightforward because I'm kind of like I'm the sort of person that once I decide on that I want to do something, mm. the decision is actually quite easy. But I remember um, when we were still in London, 
I was coming home from, I picked up, um, I think it was, I think, I can't remember which boy it was, one of my children yeah. from from nursery school. And I was, I had to get off the bus early because it, it wouldn't, it, for some reason it stopped early. So I was walking down the high street close to where we lived and it was about 6.30 on a Thursday night. Yeah. And everybody was pouring out of the station They'd all, all, the, all the people who'd been at work and they were all going into the pubs and the restaurants and I was there pushing this little pram down the road trying to get out of everyone's way mm. and it just struck me that London is London's a wonderful city but it's definitely a young person city and I felt so old I felt so old because and and, and, and the thing is people if you're in your 20s and your 30s, London is a great place to be because there is so much to do and there's so much to see. But then if you then want to have a bigger house or if you want to have space and all those things, you just can't really do it in London because it is so expensive. So it, it just it just struck me that it was probably the right time to move. And as much as I've loved London, I still will love London always. And it's a great place to have kids and raise kids. If you want those other things in life, if you want sort of the, the, a garden and you want, um, you know, to be able to walk everywhere, you, you know, you, it's it was it was the right time for us to move. Yeah. Um, so once that decision was made, it was quite easy. Plus, you know, we were living in a little two bedroom flat. And when we moved there, we only had one child and then we had another. And it just we were living on top of each other. Right. And the kids were just they they just didn't have the space to run around or play and we didn't have a garden or anything like that. So it was, I mean, you know what it's like, I think yeah. living in Paris is quite similar to living in London. So it just, for us, if we were ever going to leave London, it was, it was now and that's why we did it. Okay. And uh, so how about the, the new place then? Is it uh, a lot bigger? Yeah, it's good. So we've got a three bedroom house with a garden. Um, nice. It's, and, you know, and of course the rents are so much lower than London. So we're, you know, we're pretty much paying half of what we paid in London. Wow, seriously. Getting twice the space. Half, it's crazy. Half the rent and twice the space. Yeah, it's insane. It's That's insane. A, that is amazing. Yeah. And I, I get to walk to work in 10 minutes, um, you know, and the kids have got loads of space to play. I mean, I was we'd been here for about i think three weeks four weeks and i was reading my eldest um child a bedtime story mm-hmm. and he said to me he said he said daddy i, I i'm gonna tell you five things because he, he likes he likes numbers he likes lists so wow. I was like, okay, go on then and he says he says um number one i love you daddy and i was like oh I was like, thanks mate i love you too and he goes number two i lo- i love mummy I was like, okay, good. That's that's. She'll be happy. She loves you too. And he goes, number three, I love Canterbury. And I was like, oh, okay. And I said, why do you love Canterbury? And he goes, I, I just love it because we have space. Oh. And I was like, wow. And I was, it was it was really nice to hear that because you you are very aware that you're uprooting. Even at four years old, he's got a routine of going to nursery school and seeing his friends, and yeah. we take him away from that. So that was really nice. Yeah. And then I was like, so um what's number four? And he's like, um, I, um, I said, do, I said, do you love your brother? And he went, Oh, I like him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he never, he never finished his list. He fell asleep. So he just came but, up with five and, and, but he only had three. In fact, he stalled, he stalled at three. I think he might've said, I love sausages as well or something like right, that. I can't right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but um, no, it's, it's good. It's, it's, a, it's just a very, it's a very more, it's a much more relaxed pace of life. I remember when I went to work on the very first Monday that I was here, yeah. I, I just did that sort of London walk where you walk really quickly because that's the, that's the pace of life. And I realized that I was overtaking everybody. Yeah. So by the, t- the, the second day, I was just, I'd relaxed into that sort of that, that Canterbury way of life, that Canterbury pace. There is so a, as much. There is, there is a London walk, definitely. And there is, yeah. Uh, uh, it's kind of like you, you pace around and stride um, with purpose. And because you, London's quite big. So often walking from the metro station to wherever you've got to go, the metro, did I say that? The, the tube, metro. The tube station, of course, Thank in you. London. Uh, I've been living in Paris for, for, for too long, apparently. Um, but um, yeah, this, the, you walk around at this fast pace. And I noticed that always, it was always so clear to me when I used to take students out, uh, when I was working at the London School of English, and I'd go out with the students, you know, the way we used to go to mm. the law courts or, you know, do other different 
visits and stuff. And <laughs> I would be, I'd walk up the road to get to the tube station and I'd turn around and the students were like way back at the end yeah. of the, the road. Yeah. And it's like, for God's sake, how slow <laughs> does everyone walk? All these people from, you know, much more relaxed uh, places um, around the world. And everyone's just like walks so casually and slowly. And then I'm there going, right, pacing up the road. <laughs> yeah, the London walk. It's a real thing. The, well, while I've got, I want to tell you something because I, I, I did. Um, I, I found out something yesterday about, um, you know, the word canter. Yeah, to canter. Uh, we need to, to def- we need to define that word. Um, so, so when you, I don't know if you have any. Well, I'm sure some of your listeners will ride horses or have ridden horses, but basically, when a horse walks, it's called cantering. Yeah. So well, when it runs, it's called a gallop, but when it walks, it's known as a canter. I guess you've got what you've got a, a, a canter, you've got a trot as well, yep. and a gallop. Um, yeah, these these are uh, like different walking speeds for a horse, mm. um, and uh, it's it's yeah. A trot is you got first like a slow walk, and then a trot, and then a canter, and then a gallop. So yeah. it's kind of like a fairly quick walk for a, for a horse. But it's something that a horse can sustain for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. But do you know where that word came from? No, I don't. Well, it comes from Canterbury. Ah. So because Canterbury um, is, I mean, it's it's famous. It's the, it's the, it's famous for two things, I guess. But the, the main thing is that it's the it's the seat of the the Church of England. So there's a big cathedral here, and the head of the the, the English Church is called the Archbishop of Canterbury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think nine of the first ten archbishops became saints, and then of course there's Thomas Becket who was who was murdered within the cathedral by uh, the knights of the king over a dispute. So it became this really important pilgrimage site. And what would happen is the pilgrims from all over Europe would come to, to the cathedral. Yeah. But because the city is a, it's a walled city, it's basically got four gates, and a, at night they, they would shut the gates, and there was this curfew. So in order to get inside the city before curfew, they would have to go at what they would call the Canterbury pace, ah. which on their horses. So that eventually was shortened, or it was something called the Canterbury trot, the Canterbury gallop, or the Canterbury pace, yeah. because there wasn't this word canter. But eventually it was shortened to canter, and that's where – so the city gave us that verb. Wow. Which I only found out yesterday. That's that's interesting. So it's kind mm. of like this new word for a certain speed of riding a horse in order to get into the gates of uh, Canterbury before they before they closed at night. Yeah, nice one to canter. Okay, lovely. Um, yeah, huge cathedral, really important sort of uh, place. It's a tourist destination as well, and definitely ha- having the having the, the London School of English uh, Canterbury office there. I guess it, it attracts uh, quite a lot of learners of English. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in your in your building, then, are you, are you, how many classrooms are there? If you, is the room is the place full of like international students at the moment? Yes. I mean, it's the thing about this centre, I think it only has a capacity of about 20 or 25. So yeah. it's very kind of, I, mean, I don't want to use the word boutique, because I think that word gets overused. But the idea that it's very kind of specialised, and you get a lot of attention while you're here. Yeah. So I think there's, I, you know what, I, I'm ashamed to say, I don't really know how many rooms there are. I think there's about 20 classrooms. Yeah. So we have a maximum group size here of four students. Oh, wow. So you get lots of sort of private attention, lots of one-to-one as well. I see. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. But yeah. And, well, and, and, it, you're, and you're still, because I mean, I'm just remembering my days of working at the London School of English in, mm. in Holland Park or, or West Cross Square. And uh, I'm just sort of remembering, especially Holland Park, lunch times, uh, sitting down uh, with the teachers and the students. And it was good. It was a good atmosphere. Mm. Do, mm. do you still get that? I mean, do you, do you go downstairs and have lunch with the students and stuff? Well, we don't have that facility here, so we don't have a restaurant within the school. So uh, the students all go out to a restaurant every lunchtime with uh, either one or two of the, the training team. Right, okay. That's so nice I don't get involved in that because I'm only here, I mean, because I kind of move around a lot, so I'm often up in the London office or I'm travelling, so yeah. I'm kind of, I have, I have a desk space and that's, that's my connection here. You're in the cloud, basically. I'm in the cloud, <laughs> you're just head in, in the cloud. You're just in a cloud. That's true, at, that's true. Uh, London School Online yeah yeah that's very true um, but this, this, yeah, the second on. thing the second thing that canterbury's famous for is geoffrey chaucer so he wrote this book called the canterbury tales and he's widely seen as the godfather 
of the English language. So it was the first recognized text in English. So he um, he kind of um, he was the first one that wrote prose. So prose is a mix of writing. It could be poetry as well. So he's written this 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 book called The Canterbury Tales, and it's a series of different stories following different pilgrims as they came to the cathedral. Mm. And it's supposedly. He never, he's never actually finished it. That was the thing. He supposedly never finished it. And evident, there's no evidence that he ever actually came to Canterbury either. <laughs> but um, it's, yeah, so he, that's the other thing. So it's, it's famous for two things, the, the church and also language. So from a, from a language learning point of view, I think it's a really fascinating place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also, it's just, it's, it's very, very pretty. There's lots of, it's a bit like um, when my nephews came down, I've got two nephews who's eight and five eight and six rather, yeah. um, we, I took them for a little walk around Canterbury and my, my oldest nephew said, it's like Hogwarts <laughs> from Harry Potter. It's all these medieval buildings. I mean, I'm on a road called Castle Street. And so there's a castle at the end of the road. Really? You know, it's, it's great, yeah. So there's, it's just, it's a really, really pretty place. So Sounds fantastic. The, mm. the, the Canterbury Tales, we're talking, listeners, about, um, yeah, as, and, as you said, Andy, a collection of stories uh, written around uh, at the end of the 14th century so we're mm. talking sort of between 1387 and 1400 yeah it's- he died in 1400 so the idea i think they they weren't they they think that he actually had a lot more stories to tell but he died before he finished it yeah and it's all written in middle english which uh, mm-hmm. is this kind of form of english that you know doesn't it's not the same uh, as the English we use today, but uh, my my dad always talks about Chaucer because he'd studied Chaucer at university or something. Ah. Um, so he's he always has things to say about Chaucer, but uh, yeah, significant in terms of English because, as you said, it was like one of the early uh, examples of of written English or of Middle mm. English. So one other thing I was going to ask you was IATEFL, the because we've talked about that before, the IATEFL conference. The, the oh yeah, the International Association of Teachers of English as a Foreign Language. Okay, and they have this conference every year, which is kind of like yeah, the big meeting of TEFL teachers. Let's say. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's the name's slightly misleading in the sense that it, it's it goes way beyond teaching. I'd say. Teachers make up about 60% of the attendees. I mean, it gets about 2,500 people going to it every year. Um, But it's also publishers, it's um, teacher trainers, people like me who do online, run an online business, all sorts of different kind of disciplines. But the whole, it all fits under this umbrella of learning English and teaching English. Okay. So so did did you see any interesting lectures, any interesting talks? Uh, I saw a couple. Yeah, I mean, this 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 year was really interesting because I um, it was in Liverpool. Yes, um, which I've been to the second time. I've been to that conference in Liverpool. The, the conference rotates every year, but this is the first time I ever went. It was in Liverpool back in I think 2012. Mm. So it was back in Liverpool this year, um, and I was I did a talk on one of the days, and I just had. Uh, it was unlike any other year because I just had so many meetings. Yeah. Um, for because the the online training business is kind of really taken off in the last uh, twelve months. So I was just very busy with networking and speaking to people. So I didn't actually get to go and see that many um, talks. I mean, I saw a couple. Some of my colleagues were speaking, so I saw them. They were very good. I went to one. Um, it was a very ambitious session. It was this guy that was talking about how you can create escape rooms oh, to cool. learn English. Yeah. It was very cool. So, wait, um, what, wait, what's an escape room? So an escape room is, they're really popular at the moment. There's actually one just around the corner from where I'm sitting. And the idea is that you are in a room and it's themed in a particular way and you you have to solve a puzzle in order to get out of the room within a certain time limit yeah um so um i i did one with uh, ben ben butler who's been on the podcast before yeah and um it was a series of escape rooms so the first one we were on some kind of spaceship and we had to figure out how to open the airlock and you you get clues and then you have to solve the puzzle and then we went into this kind of aztec room and you had to position these lasers these sundials so that the light would shine in the right place and open the door to the next part and then we were in nazi germany Whoa. and we had to find this this i can't remember what it was this this 
um, artifact. So yeah, they're, 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 they're a big deal now, particularly in the UK. Um, so he was saying that, you know, you can use escape rooms to learn English. So he was, must've had maybe a hundred, 150 people in his session and he'd planted like clues all around the rooms. Yeah. And then you had to, people had to go and find these clues but the it was very ambitious because the the problem was 200 uh, 150 people five clues 150 <laughs> people aren't all going to be able to find a clue yeah so for a lot of us we're just sitting around watching other people do stuff but it was it was a good idea and it was it was a, a well-delivered session and i could see how you can learn english through it how how could you use escape rooms for learning english then well, I think there's 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 the two things. There's the comprehension of understanding what the clues mean and and learning what the language means there. And then there's the second thing about the communication and being able to have to communicate towards a certain goal. Because I think the the challenge for a lot of trainers in a classroom is that you, you you're trying to create authentic communication opportunities. Right. Right. So I was. That's why this idea of task based learning and problem solving is 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 so prevalent in in language training because. You just want to create a context where people are using language for a particular function yeah. and they're doing it naturally without feeling that they're being forced to speak in a particular way. Yeah, because the traditional way is you study the language and you kind of yeah. you know study grammar and do all that kind of thing. But then a more popular way of doing things now is just creating the conditions in which the learners have to use certain language. Mm. And that can be yeah very difficult to contrive as a mm. teacher because you want, you know, for example, if like just recently I've been teaching my intermediate class used to mm -hmm. to describe past habits right that we're very familiar with that and uh, like using usually or other adverbs of frequency to describe present habits right just mm. you know basic intermediate grammar stuff but it can actually be surprisingly tricky to just get them into the right mental space yeah in which they are talking about for example comparing their life in the past to their life now um, and and so as a teacher, one of the things you have to do is try and contrive that situation where they 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 want to start talking about comparing the past and the present in terms yeah. of their lifestyle, you know. And and so it, it, you, instead of just looking at okay, so this is used to, we use it for past habits. Do these exercises now? Answer these questions. Instead, you, sometimes you need to approach the whole thing from a different angle, where you just create the conditions in which they they are trying to express those concepts and then you say ah here's the language you need and mm. then they and they then pick it up and use it because that because that kind of thing is is it's not something we do very often it's very rare that we will reflect i mean we're having a conversation now about um the fact that i've i've left london and i could go well i used to do this when i lived in london but the fact is it's only four months ago that i was living there yeah when we i mean we're recording this um sort of early may i don't know when this will go out but you know, it, so it, it, that's quite an extravagant um, thing to do is to just suddenly click and start comparing your past life to your yeah, current life from nowhere. Uh, yeah, from nowhere. So it's it's actually it's a difficult thing to do. So being able to create that thing where it's that sort of feels natural. And I think what I don't know how you would do it. I'm going to ask you in a minute how you would do it. But certainly when I was teaching, you've got that in by compare, getting them to compare what they do in their own countries to what they do in London. Right. Because I think that is quite a sort of a natural thing to do, or sort yeah. of a natural construct. How yeah. did you do it with your students in France? So, so obviously I'm in France, so I can't do that thing that you just mm. said, which is, hey, so you're, you're living in London now, things are different now, aren't they? How are things different now to the life you're living now to the life that you had when you lived in your own country? You know, and that would probably immediately get them on the right track. Mm. But living in France, you know, uh, we don't have that option. We're talking about um, living in another country and living in this country. So um, what I find more and more is just the most efficient way to get to these places, to get the students thinking along certain lines, is to tell them something about myself first. And that's how we get into the, you know, into the topic area. Um, I think I talked about having kids. Yeah. I thought I talked about the difference, you know, I was like, who's got children? Because most of them are adults. Most of them are, are at the age where they've got kids. A lot of the people in my class have got kids. So like, who's mm. got kids? And, you know, what's it like having kids? You know, how are, you, how, how are the kids doing? And stuff like that. And then probably told them some things about how things had changed for me. And what, you know, probably talking about challenges now mm. are compared to how things used to be and mm. then so you know i used to i used to we used to get up at this time 
But these <laughs> days we have to get up at the, you know, with these days we usually get up at sort of seven o'clock in the morning when the baby wakes up. Uh, but we used to just be able to lie in until yeah. 10 if we wanted to. I, I used to, I used to sleep at night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, they, they say for every child, you get four years of interrupted sleep. Really? So um, God. you've got you've got another two and a half years, I reckon, to go. Yeah. Well, then but then... when, you, but then if you have another one, <laughs> like we did, so we, we're going to have. I think we've worked it out. We'll have about six and a half years in total of of disrupted sleep. Yeah, and then. So, and then by, uh, after a certain number of years, you won't be able to get the kids out of bed. Exactly. And I look forward to that time. Yeah. I look forward to that time because that means I can finally catch up on my sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so the thing about the escape rooms then is that it yes. kind of creates a problem that the students have to solve and they have to use certain language to do it. Yeah. That's the idea. And I think it's, I think it's a great way. And, it, and the, the most important thing is it's fun. It's fun, and, and I think learning is difficult, and the more fun you can make it, the better. Yeah, totally, totally. So you, you spoke, you, you talked at the uh, conference? I did, yeah. I was talking, I have kind of was doing a bit of, um, I was doing a, like a back-to-basic session, really, on, on the, how you can deliver online training. So I was talking really about all the stuff that we've learned over the past three years at London School Online of working with big companies and um, being able to deliver training globally and the, the kind of the mistakes we made and the good things that happened. And I think it was, it was quite well received. Um, did, you so, have, did, you, did you have any weird distractions in the background this time? Because last time, last time, time no. you were in what, Brighton and there was a guy it's, water skiing while you were doing your, your talk. Yeah, there's a guy messing around on a jet ski. Yeah, jet skiing, that's it. And I just thought, if if people notice him, then my talk is finished, because he, he's way more interesting than this. He was really going for it. He was really gunning it. You know, he was yeah. like jumping. It was, it was quite impressive. I, to be honest, I wanted to stop my talk and just watch it. <laughs> In my head, I was thinking, should I just say, hey, guys, guys, listen, have a look over there. This is brilliant. But no, I, uh, I finished. No, so there were no distractions. It was, it was kind of weird, though, because we were in this, this, this meeting room. And what they'd done is they put two rooms together so they could increase the capacity. And okay. so there was about 100 people all in rows. But the rows had like maybe four or five chairs in. Mm. So there's like 20, 20 rows. So it was like giving a talk in a corridor. Yeah. And, and the people at the back were like way at the back. So it was a bit of a funny room, but um, no, there was there were no jet skis or distractions. I mean, we were we did actually have a view of the river, though. That was the thing that I saw when I went into the room. I was like, "Oh, hello! I've got another view of water here." But the only thing that you saw was like the the ferry going across the Mersey. Um, yeah. So no, it was it was fine. It was good. But interestingly, I got a call um, about two days. Well, actually, not not me. My colleague got a call two days later saying I was in. Andy Johnson's talk, mm. and I have a business in Vietnam, and we would like to do some online training. So it's like that's great. That's great when you 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 have these sessions, and then there's you get that immediate response of somebody who was there, and they've seen you, and they they want to work with you. So it was it was very very good. So basically, um, when you say working with companies, this is like let's say organisations who've got lots of people, uh, lots of staff, and that mm. and they all need to learn English. And so they, they perhaps get in touch with you to arrange some sort of deal where they pay you to access or you, you, you make an online course for that specific company to help mm. with the human resources training in English. Is, is, yes. is that essentially what you're doing? That's what we do. So we do a lot of work with learning and development teams. Um, so we'll do we'll find out what it is they want to achieve. Because um, the thing is, a lot of organizations have language needs, but where we help them is we try to understand, well, what, okay, so you want your people to learn English, but why do you want them to learn English? What, what do you want them to learn? Because English is a big old language. Mm. And so, for example, we're working with a, a hospitality group with nine restaurants in London, and they need language so that they can work safely in the kitchens. Yeah. So what that means is we need to build in a lot of listening exercises because if you're a, if you imagine you're a chef you don't really need to speak very much but you do need to be able to have very good listening skills. You, you, so need, to, you need all the swear words. You need all the swear words, yeah, and we're very good at teaching that. 
um, but then you know there's other organizations where um, you know we're doing work with a sales team across Europe and they're, they're, they they need to be able to present they need to be able to work well in meetings they need to be able to negotiate so it's really interesting I'm, and I'm, I'm really very fortunate to be working in this position because we we deliver training and we deliver solutions and no two companies are the same and the beauty about working online is that you you're not constrained by bricks and mortar you know you don't have to be in a particular place to deliver it you can access that learning anywhere so um yeah we're, we're doing some really interesting stuff at the moment so we've got that thing going on in vietnam i've um, been invited to go to mexico to guadalajara wow to work with somebody there I don't think I will, but I would like to go. Um, really? So yeah, it's it's yeah. it's been good. All right, cool. Uh, how about the running? So having moved to Canterbury, how does yes. that how does that affect your your uh, your your running that you do? Um, yeah, it's I'm I'm still running. Uh, I didn't do the marathon this year. Um, I didn't get a place, unfortunately. But having said that, I was quite relieved that I didn't get a place because I just thought, oh my god, it was so hard. Um, yeah. maybe, maybe next year yeah. but um canterbury's lovely it's it's you know it's got lots of rivers running flu- through it so you can always pick up the river and just run along the river i think the the difference the major difference is it, it is so small so mm. for example when i was working in london i'd run home from work and that was like a good five mile eight kilometer run so i'd do that two three times a week and it was a great way of not only commuting but getting my exercise in if i run home from here it's not even a kilometer so you know i'd spend longer getting into my running gear and out of my running gear than i would running so if i want to go running after work now i have to kind of run away from home just to create a distance (laughs) long enough and even then it's difficult like i ran all around the city because we've got these medieval walls so it was the the canterbury was built by the romans Mm. And it has these walls all around the city that some of them remain, some of them don't. But there's a big stretch where they, they still remain and you can go up and you can walk along them or, or in my case, run along them. Yeah. So I kind of ran all around the city and I went kind of down this road and up that road and here and here and here and got home. And I'd still only done like three kilometers. It's just it's just so small. So I'm, I'm kind of learning. I'm kind of going out of the city and running through the countryside. The, the nice thing is, like I ran this morning. And within five minutes of leaving, you're just in fields and and countryside, and yeah. it's, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So I was running great. through I was running through these fields today, and the, this is the, it was where Caesar apparently assembled his army yeah. before they 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 went to the city, and because they they established Canterbury as like um an outpost where they stockpiled all their armory and their um all their soldiers. So it was a military base, which mm. is why they built walls around the city. Mm. And there's gates, so there's north, south, east, and west. There's gates around the city. So this is why we have they, they'd shut the gates and they'd have the curfew, so that the pilgrims had to be there early. Yeah. So outside every gate, you'll have all these pubs because if you didn't make it inside the city before curfew, you'd need somewhere to stay for the night. So you've got all these these lodges and these inns. So it's 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 a it's a very pretty place to go running. Yeah, uh, lots of interesting things to see. It's just you kind of you end up doing laps in order to get your distance up. <laughs> right, I see. Right, so that's it for part one. That's where we're going to pause the conversation. But this will continue in part two, in which our conversation turns to other topics, including food, TV series, football and music. Those are things that we deal with in the next part of the conversation. Thanks again to Andy for being on the podcast. If you want to get in touch with Andy, perhaps because you're interested in the online learning programs that he offers, uh, you can find him on LinkedIn, on Twitter at Andy B. Johnson, and the London School online website is londonschool.com slash LSO. Um, And so allow me to remind you at this point to sign up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. I've got new episodes in the pipeline that involve teaching you some nice, chunky bits of natural English vocabulary, along with the usual bits and pieces, including PDF worksheets, 
tests and exercises and pronunciation drills. And of course, becoming a premium subscriber gives you access to the ever-growing library of premium content, which you can listen to in the Luke's English Podcast app or online from your computer. And it will all cost you just the price of a coffee a month from you to me. So keep me caffeinated and become an LEP premium subscriber today. Go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium to get started. And uh, so that's basically it then for this episode. I look forward to reading your comments in the comments section uh, relating to things that you heard us talking about uh, just uh, here. And yeah, as I said, this is all going to continue in part two. And we'll be talking about, yeah, what, what did I say? Food, eating habits and stuff. TV series, so bits of TV stuff that uh, we have or haven't watched. And there, there is, uh, well, there's a mention of Game of Thrones in there. I know some of you are keen to hear hear people talking about Game of Thrones. So there's a little, um, a, a, a taste of Game of Thrones. Some football coming up in part two. And uh, for those of you who've been Uh, keeping up with the events, the recent events in European football, particularly the European Champions League, because there were extraordinary scenes um, in the the Champions League semi-finals featuring Liverpool and Barcelona and Tottenham Hotspur and Ajax. Yes, that's how we say Ajax in the UK. Ajax, they're the football team from Amsterdam. I think some in some places they'd probably call them Ajax but we call them Ajax. So extraordinary scenes in matches between Liverpool and Barcelona and Tottenham and Ajax. Just crazy stuff. So anyway, we do talk about that. And also some stuff about music as well and the recent music we've been listening to. And we talk about, um, well, there's some chat about Steely Dan. Anyway, I'll let you discover it for yourselves when you listen to part two, which is either available right away or will be available very soon. Okay, so that's coming up. Uh, next. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I will speak to you again soon in part two, but for now, it's time to just say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. 